What a beautiful day it is to be in the house of the Lord. We've been announcing for the last few weeks that we are going to do a series of lessons and that we're coordinated from speakers to speaker. The topic that was given to me just because it's the second Sunday is saving grace. And what I would like to say before we start is that everything that it means to be a Christian is requiring faith. Faith should be the first thing we talk about because without it, nothing else we do makes any sense. So we're going to spend our time defining and talking about faith and how it is interwined with all of everything that we believe. Lonnie read for us this morning there in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and there at the 6th verse it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you don't have faith, you're not going to please God. So faith is very important. We need it. Oftentimes when we define a word, we will go look in a concordance or we'll go look in the dictionary. But I'm just going to stick with the definition that we find here in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't know about you, but that's Old English, and it really doesn't fit the way I think very much. I like the Revised Standard Edition that says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now when my children were small, and it was two weeks before their birthday, and if I went and asked them, I said, What do you want for your birthday? And my son said, I want a bicycle. And I said, Well, that's a reasonable request. Sure, we're going to get you a bicycle for your birthday. Two weeks out, does my son have the assurance that it's going to happen. He believes his dad. Sure. I said I was going to get him a bike. He's assured. But you know what? He went and told his friends. Why? Because he was conviction. He had a conviction that I was going to do it. Now, if I didn't show up with a bicycle, it's pretty bad for 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 the man because I'm human. But it's not the way God is. God has promised you and I a place in heaven, a city not made with hands. Do we have the faith that it's assurance that that's going to happen? Why? Because God said it would. And are we convicted enough to believe it and to do what is required to receive that promise? That's faith. That's the definition of faith. On down in that Hebrews 11 chapter, it's often called the the chapter of faith or the chapter of the old men, the great men of faith of the Old Testament talks a lot about the various people of the Old Testament, and it says these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. God promised Abraham a kingdom. He promised him a promised land. He promised him a huge nation. Abraham believed him enough to get up and leave where he was, but you know what? Abraham never saw that promise. But he had the assurance that it was going to be there. Why? Because God said it would be. And he embraced it, and he had the conviction to act upon it. In the 32nd verse there of the 11th chapter, we find where it says, And more shall I say, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, 
turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and so on and so on and so on. How strong is your faith? How strong is my faith? These men, that armies of God that were, had very few people in it against massive armies, and they won because they were with God. They stopped the mouths of lions when they were in the den. They raised people from the dead because of their faith. What kind of faith have I got compared to them? But in the 39th verse there it says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They could see it afar off, but they didn't receive the promise that you and I have today in this dispensation of time. For God had provided something better for us that we should not be made perfect apart from us. They should not be made perfect apart from us. You and I know through faith that Jesus Christ came to this earth. We know through faith that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We know through faith that he was raised from the dead. We can see that much more than they could of old because it was after their time. We need to take advantage and strengthen our faith knowing that these things occurred. I have three examples here in the New Testament, and there are many that deal with faith. But for lack of time, we're going to talk about three of them because I have specific things to say about each one of them. You remember the account of the woman that the Scripture said had an issue of blood for 12 years. She'd, sold, she'd spent all that she had. She wasn't any better. She was desperate. Now, there was a huge crowd around Jesus at this time. And they were pushing and shoving, I guess, to get closer to Jesus. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? Lots of people touched you. Of course, we know that's not what Jesus was talking about. But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she had not was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now this woman, according to the scripture, said, If I could just touch his garment, if I could just get up and touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Was it the touching of the garment? that healed her? There were lots of people touching his garment. No. It was her faith that healed her, that made her well. It was the fact that she acted on what she thought she needed to do, and in doing so, the Savior healed her. You and I, in our lives, we have trials of death. We have trials of illness and sickness and financial and family and so on. But our faith needs to be strong so we know that we can be made well and we could be at peace. The woman was made well because of the strength of her faith. And he said, go in peace because of it. There's another miracle that we find where if you have a man that was crippled and he had his friends carry him to Jesus, they couldn't get in as it says here, Mark 2 and 3. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through... They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Why did he say their sins were forgiven? The scripture says it's because he saw their faith. 
the cripples man faith and the four that carried him. You and I have a basic tenet of our belief because of what the scripture teaches. That a person needs to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They need to confess Him before men. They need to repent of their sins and they need to be baptized. Why? To wash away their sins. When someone is baptized and they come out of that water, is their face glowing? Can you see any difference in the person? If a person gets in this water and doesn't have faith that his sins are being forgiven, he just, all he did was get wet. So it's faith that forgives sins. Yes, you have to go to be baptized and wash away, but if you don't believe it did it, what good did it do you? So as Jesus said, your faith, because of your faith, son, your sins are forgiven you. And lastly of our examples is that of a parable. In Luke 18 and 1, it says there he spoke to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, there was a certain city, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God and regard man. But there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. What was this parable about? He spoke to them a parable about a man always ought to pray and not lose heart, not lose faith. When you pray, and we in this congregation pray a lot, do we have faith that God hears us? Do we have faith that he listens to us and that he answers our prayers? Or are we just saying some nice, beautiful words to make us feel good? As Jesus said, go into the closet and God who hears in secret will hear you. That's not exactly what he said, but it's, that is the context. When we pray at home, when we pray when we go to bed, when we pray at the dinner table, when we pray in the congregation, do we believe that Jesus and the Father are listening? That's faith. You can't pray and please God without faith. You have to believe that he hears us. Uh-oh, one backwards. Sorry. At the end of that, Jesus asked a question. He said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When he comes back, will he find believing Christians that have enough faith to know that he hears our prayers? Enough faith to know that he cares about us. Enough faith to know that he will do something about it. The rhetorical question, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith? Last week, when Ian started out this set of lessons that we're doing, he started with the Great Commission and what it really means. And one of the things he emphasized, which is very important, is, is when Christ died on the cross, raised from the grave, there was a division. There was a change in everything. It was the Old Testament that God used with his chosen people, the Israelites, up until the death and re resurrection of Christ. But after that, it's the New Testament. It's Christ's law, so to speak. It is his will that's important. Now, in the time of Christ especially, those Jews had a really hard time with that. Most of the, 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 I shouldn't say most, the people that were first saved were Jewish people. But man, they had a hard time realizing that there was that big a change. 
the Apostle Paul in Galatians writing to Jews said, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of Gentiles. You know, you really put down the Gentiles right there. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but the faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. The Israelite people thought that following the law to the letter would save them. Well, the scriptures tell us that no man is perfect. And the scripture told them that nobody could follow the law perfectly. But the writer here, Paul, said, you're justified by your faith in Jesus Christ. It was a complete change, a mark in history, a direction of God's people was moved to a different direction altogether. It was so important that they held a meeting to discuss it. It was a hard thing for those people. I like the first verse here, the fifth verse, it says of Acts 15. But some of the sects of the Pharisees who believed rose up. Who were the Pharisees? You know, we always seem to talk about how they, Jesus condemned them because a lot of the beliefs they had and should have, should have. And we always look at them, or I do, as a negative thing. But here are Pharisees, and what were they? They were Christians. They believed in Jesus Christ. They had been baptized, but they had a problem. Speaking of the Gentiles or thinking about the Gentiles, they said it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. They thought that being a Christian was just another mark in their book of the Old Testament, and it's not. Now the apostles and elders came together and considered this matter. Look how hard it was for them, and when there had been much dispute, this was a difficult topic. Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that my mouth by my, I'm sorry, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember, Cornelius, a messenger was sent to Cornelius, an angel, to look and go to Joppa and get Peter and bring Peter up. And when Peter came, he brought with others with him, but he came and Cornelius was expecting to figure, for Peter to tell him how to please God. So God, who knows the hearts, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. If you go back there and read the account of the conversion of Cornelius, you'll find that Peter and those who were with him were astonished that God gave a Gentile the Holy Spirit. Continuing, Peter said, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What purified the hearts of Cornelius and those Gentiles? It was their faith. What purifies our hearts? It's our faith. Our faith that God will do what he said he will do. Our faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Our faith that our sins are forgiven. Everything in the Christian dogma has to do with faith. If you don't have that, the rest doesn't make any sense. Peter finishes saying, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Did Peter believe that people were saved from the, in the law? No. He believed that it was the grace through the Lord Jesus Christ that will save the Jew and will save the Gentile. That's how people are saved. The Apostle Paul, in his description of his conversion to King Agrippa, 
said that, Jesus said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. I'll make you safe. To whom I will send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Through faith, we are sanctified. We are made holy. We are consecrated. We are blessed. We are purified. We are sanctified by faith. Peter said in his general letter, 1 Peter, the first chapter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God, how through faith. For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, praise honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen, whom having not seen you love, have you and I seen Jesus Christ in person? No, we are like these people. Though you now you do not see him yet believing, do we believe that he died on the cross for our sins? You rejoice with joy inexplicable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That's what faith's about, lasting, lifelong faith ends in the salvation of your soul. Well, we need to ask the question that was asked in James. You can't do a lesson on faith without going to James. What is faith without works? James 2 and 14 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone say he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? A person that says that he believes in Jesus Christ and goes out in the world and lives a worldly life and that's it, is that person's faith doing him any good? Does he have anything to show for his belief? James gives us an example. He says, a brother, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your, wor without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You know what Peter was saying here? He says, I don't have to tell you I've got faith. You can look at me. And the way I handle my life, the way that I live my life, the things that I do are a shining light of my faith. You show me your faith without your works, and you can find my faith by my works. Skipping down to the 20th verse, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? If you don't have works to go along with the faith, what good is the faith? And again, in the 21st verse, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was, was working together with, with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. He said, you've got to have works to go with faith. But we all know that the works and that of the works of the law won't save you. It's not that. It's a combination of that your faith is shown through your works as Abraham did here. You see that a man is justified 
by works and not by faith only. We need to live our faith. We need to use our faith for good, for works, for glorifying God through our faith. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Well, what's the end result of having a lifelong faith? The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith all his life from the time he was converted. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. What was his faith? His faith was, as God said, I'm going to reward you that diligently seek me. And that reward is at home in heaven, eternity with God. And his faith was strong enough that he kept it, for he knew he was convicted. There was a crown of righteousness waiting for him. But not only for me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you have the faith to know that there is a home in heaven for you and I if we do what God wants us to do? We read this earlier. Whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. How important is faith? Without faith, nothing else we do as a Christian makes any sense. We mentioned this earlier, but as we close, we give the invitation. If a person believes that Jesus is the Son of God and has faith that he died on the cross, he was raised from the dead, he has enough faith to confess that to men. He has enough faith to ask for remission of sins and enough faith to believe that he gets baptized. His sins will be washed away. Why don't you come forward and become part of that family of faith with the rest of us as we sing two verses of the song selected.